Welcome to the Relatable Finance Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joseph Carl and Shane Phillips. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Relatable Finance. The stock market has been relatively strong since the lows in March of last year, especially more growth-oriented stocks. One of the reasons for the really strong returns has been the expectation that the Fed will remain accommodative for some time and keep interest rates low, and that that their QE program will keep bond yields low for an extended period of time as well. However, bond yields have risen recently with the 10-year treasury going from 0.93 at the end of last year to over 1.5%, the highest level since the onset of the pandemic. This has given the stock market a bit of a pause with the more growth-oriented areas of the market selling off a bit. In this episode of Relatable Finance, we thought we would dive into this topic a little bit more and discuss the relationship between bond yields and stock markets, as this is something that we'll likely hear more and more about in the months and years to come. Probably the best place to start is once again clarifying what stocks and bonds actually are. So again, stocks, you own a portion of the company and future revenue streams. Bonds, on the other hand, are a government or a corporation who has borrowed money and essentially agreed to pay you back at some point. Bonds can be issued by a wide variety of places, including national and state governments, municipalities, colleges, universities, and many, many corporations. And all in all, the bond market is massive. And as of last year, the total bond market is estimated to be around $128 trillion, with the U.S. bond market being the biggest at somewhere around a third of that. And for comparison's sake, the global stock market is a little bit less, around $100 trillion. The size of the bond market is important, as small changes in bond yields can have significant implications for the broader market. In many respects, much of the bond market is tied to one another because of logical relationships which we have discussed. Probably the best place to start when discussing how yields are determined is the U.S. Treasury yield curve. The yield curve shows the yield on U.S. Treasuries of different maturities as at a given point in time. So, for example, the yield curve would show the yield on 1, 2, 3, 5, 10, and 30-year Treasuries, While that that may not seem all that important, it's extremely relevant and probably one of, if not the most watched financial metrics there is. And this is important for a couple of reasons. First, a U.S. Treasury bond has historically been considered the safest investment in the world because it is backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which is the world's largest economy and also has the world's reserve currency. As such, changes in yields of Treasuries have an impact on bond yield in the U.S., and also abroad. Outside of the US, important bond yields to consider are those of the German Bund and the JGB, or the Japanese government bond, which would be considered the European and Asian equivalents of the US Treasury. The shape of the yield curve is important. Typically, an upward sloping yield curve is a good sign, one that signals strong economic growth ahead. Conversely, an inverted yield curve, or one where longer-term bond yields are lower than short-term yields, is usually a concern and signals slowing economic growth. So what determines the yield curve? The easiest way to think of this is that short-term rates are driven primarily by central bank policy, and longer-term rates are driven by expectations for economic growth and inflation. An analogy we've used in the past is that central banks use short-term interest rates like a gas pedal and a brake on a car. You want to speed up the economy, they lower interest rates, which is like pushing the gas pedal. They want to slow the economy, they raise interest rates, which is like taking your foot slowly off the gas pedal or pushing on the brake. One may ask, why not just keep interest rates low all the time to promote economic growth? 
And the answer is that keeping interest rates too low for too long can overheat the economy and eventually lead to higher inflation. Also, the economy ebbs and flows, good times and bad times, and it can't be good all the time. And so overstimulating the economy for too long with low interest rates can eventually lead to a bigger bust, which can be difficult to manage and ultimately create more difficulty recovering than the benefits that it provided. So to try and manage this, central banks use short-term interest rates and essentially smooth out the booms and busts. But we have a couple of interesting factors to consider in today's environment. First, we have the pandemic and the associated restrictions, which has caused great harm on the economy. Over 10 million people still remain unemployed, although some say that number is too low. And this weakness in the job market really warrants the Fed being as accommodative as possible. We've also had really low inflation. And while high inflation is bad, deflation or negative inflation is worse, as it discourages consumptions for which our economies rely on. So we've talked about the yield curve and what influences short-term rates, but what about longer-term rates? Longer-term rates are more driven by expectations over economic growth and inflation. So you see, use a simple example. If economic growth was expected to be 2% and inflation was expected to be 2%, you would expect a longer-term bond yield to be in the 4% range, which is the sum of those two. Longer-term bond yields are also driven by supply and demand. And during economic weakness, there's typically a flight to quality. And what does that mean exactly? Well, bonds are considered to be safer investments than stocks and thus a flight to quality. Why is that? Really for two reasons. Again, government bonds are backed by the full faith and credit of the government. And since the government always wants to have the ability to borrow money, they'll do their best to always defend that. And that can be done with things like increase in taxes if they need to. Then there is the inverse relationship between bond yields and bond prices. As bond yields go down, bond prices go up. When bond yields go up, bond prices go down. As such, during times of economic uncertainty, risk assets such as stocks typically sell off or drop in value. And as mentioned earlier, money flows into higher quality investments such as bonds and cash. Given this inverse relationship, bonds can be extremely attractive during a time of economic uncertainty because they are one of the few assets that appreciate as bond prices get driven down by demand. So during times of economic weakness, you typically see demand for bonds greatly increase, forcing yields lower. Also, when bonds yields are low, you typically see a lot of issuance from governments and other bond issuers, such as corporations and municipalities. This makes sense, as there is a rush to lock in these low yields for a long time. Eventually, though, economic conditions begin to improve and optimism picks up. With high economic growth also comes the anticipation of higher inflation. Both of these tend to reduce demand for bonds at current levels. Why is that? As mentioned earlier, longer term bond yields tend to be the sum of economic growth and inflation. So if I hold a 10 year bond at a yield of 1%, but we are expecting economic growth of 2% and inflation at 2% in the coming years, and taking into consideration the inverse relationship of bond prices and yields, I probably want to sell that bond. Because if I don't, I'm stuck holding a bond paying me 1% for 10 years if I hold it the whole time. Whereas if I sell it, bond yields will likely be higher in the future and I could lock into a bond paying 3% potentially in a year or two. So eventually this tide starts to turn as optimism of economic growth grows and bonds typically see a sell-off, prompting yields to move higher until enough demand comes back to where current yields make sense. So what does all of this have to do with where we are today? 
Well, we are currently have a lot of optimism over economic growth and also the expectation that inflation may be higher in the coming years. This is for a couple of reasons. Despite the fact that we are all still in the midst of a pandemic, economic data does not look that bad. The amount of jobs added was better than expected. Household finances are actually in good shape and consumer spending has actually been relatively strong. We also have declining cases of the virus and the expectation of wider distribution of vaccine by the middle of this year. So economic restrictions could be removed. Finally, another round of fiscal stimulus was just passed in the amount of $1.9 trillion, which is geared more towards lower income individuals and households who are likely to spend those dollars. All this paints a pretty bright picture for the economy, prompting an adjustment in bond yields. For some, bonds may seem pretty boring. How does all of this relate to the stock market? Well, on some level, stocks and bonds are substitutes for one another. As we mentioned earlier, given that bonds are either backed by the government into the issuing them or higher up on the corporate collateral structure, bonds are considered safer than stocks. So the higher bond yields go, the more they tend to compete with stocks. Another way to look at this is comparing the yield on the 10-year treasury relative to dividends. And the common comparison is the yield on the S&P 500. Why would this matter? Well, let's say the yield on the 10-year treasury is 2%, and so is the dividend yield on the S&P 500. Would you rather hold the treasury yielding 2% for 10 years or hold the S&P 500 yielding the same 2%, but also have the prospect for upside growth? But again, you need to take into consideration risk as these are very different asset classes. Bond yields are also used in various valuation measures, such as discounted cash flows. So in using this approach, estimates of companies' earnings or free cash flow are calculated out into the future, and then those cash flows are discounted back using the yield in the 10-year treasury and usually a risk premium. If we only consider the yield in the 10-year treasury for a moment, discounting those cash flows back to today with a larger assumed bond yield results in a lower estimate of the company's value. Conversely, lower bond yields estimates a higher company value when you discount it back. And the impact here is greater for higher growth-oriented companies. Why? Well, since much of their growth is forecasted farther out into the future, higher discount rates have a greater impact on anticipated cash flows. Again, back to what Joe said about the future cash flows and discount rates, these growth-oriented companies would be more hurt more because they have more future cash flows than would be affected by this higher discount rate. If rates go up, those future profits are worth less today than if rates stayed low. Lastly, another measure to consider is the equity risk premium, which is the additional expected return one would expect on stocks above bonds. It is important to note that this is not a fixed number. It varies at different times depending upon economic and market conditions, but let's assume for a moment that it's 6%. One would expect 6% on stocks above bonds. Next, let's assume for a moment that bonds are currently yielding 2%. Under this scenario, one would expect to earn 8% on stocks over the long term. That's not too unrealistic of an expectation for stocks as it's well within the long-term historical averages. But let's say bond yields are 8% and then using that same 6% risk premium, stocks will be expected to earn 14%. While there are years where stocks do earn 14%, that would be a relatively high expectation to consistently have. Eventually those higher bond yields will put pressure on stocks, causing them to pull back in value into the levels consistent with the 6% risk premium. So to review our discussion today, stocks have done extraordinarily well really since the lows of March last year in the middle of the pandemic. One reason that stocks have done well is the expectation that bond yields will remain low for an extended period of time. However, bond yields have started to rise as of late for a number of reasons. 
Economic data suggests the economy is doing better than expected. Distribution of the vaccine is going faster than anticipated. Another stimulus from the federal government should help jumpstart the economy. And all of this is boosting optimism over what things may look like in the months and years to come. While short-term yields are likely to remain low as central banks remain accommodated for the next couple of years, longer-term bond yields are more driven by expectations over economic growth and inflation. And with all the optimism on the recovery over the next 12 months or so, yields have started to move a bit higher, which is likely to continue to be the case as the economy continues to improve. Stocks are determined by a variety of factors, such as earnings, free cash flow, dividends, speculation on future growth, but there are also many valuation measures that take into consideration yields on bonds. In short, the higher yields go, the more they begin to compete with stocks, and the more important there is from valuation measures. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Relatable Finance, and thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast.probwealth.com or check out our website at relatablefinancepodcast.com. Provenance Wealth Advisors is not a registered broker-dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services, Inc. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services are offered through Provenance Wealth Advisors and Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. Any opinions are those of Relatable Finance Podcast and PWA and not necessarily those of Raymond James. The information contained in this report does not purport to be a complete description of the securities, markets, or developments referred to in this material. There is no assurance that any of the trends mentioned will continue or forecasts will occur. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but Raymond James does not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision does not constitute a recommendation. Investment involves risk and you may incur a profit or loss regardless of strategy selected. Diversification and asset allocation do not ensure a profit or protect against a loss. Investing involves risk and investors may incur a profit or loss. Raymond James does not provide tax or legal services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Future investment performance cannot be guaranteed, and investment yields will fluctuate with market conditions. Any examples given in the podcast are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary.